are in a series that we've been talking about building a life and, and what does it look like to build a life that really focuses on what matters most. That, that's been what we've been talking about the last few weeks and that we will uh, continue talking about for the next uh, couple weeks. And as we talk about this tonight, um, a question that I often ask people and that um, I, you don't need to raise your hands or anything, but, but who in here feels busy? And don't, don't raise your hands. I mean, I'm sure that um, most of the time when I've asked that question in rooms of people, pretty much every hand goes up. doesn't matter if you are super employed or unemployed. It doesn't matter kind of where you are, how old you are, or if you're married or not married or, or got kids or don't have kids. Most of us feel busy, right? And it's a very common thing to go up to somebody, and maybe this even happened in uh, the lobby uh, today, but it's a very common thing to go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? And we say, I'm busy, right? We don't say, oh, I'm sad, or I'm doing really good, or I'm happy. We say, I'm busy. That's one of the most common things to say. Or just, hey, how you been lately? Oh, I've been busy, right? That's a very, very common thing that we say, that busyness is something that most of us feel. And yet, it affects all of us negatively, right? I mean, we, we, the effects of busyness have, have far-reaching effects. I mean, in your busyness, if you're somebody that feels busy, which I think most of us do uh, to some extent, if you're busy emotionally, you may be drained and spent. Relationally, it can be difficult to focus on the people that you love and maybe friends or family complain, I don't hear from you enough or we don't get to spend enough time together. Uh, spiritually, it can be difficult to focus on a relationship with God if you've got all these other things going on. Physically, those of us that get busy, you can get ulcers, you maybe don't sleep, you get stressed out, you, you may break out, I mean, feel like a teenager all of a sudden, because you're like, where is this coming from? And, and it's coming from busyness, you know, that it affects our lives, that all of us are busy, and it's something that affects us, affects us negatively, and many of us wonder this. How can I balance it all, right? How can I balance it all? How can I balance work and family and friends and family and friends that don't live here, that live in other places that I still have because I didn't just delete them when I moved? Or how do I balance that and church and God and, and just fun? And how do I balance all of these different things that I have going on in my life? Because it seems almost impossible. And so we constantly feel busy. And we feel this uh, just kind of emotionally, we feel it physically, we feel it all the time. And, and sometimes we wonder if there's a way to just, or maybe we feel, I wish there was a way to just escape. You ever see some of those TV shows or movies and it's kind of an apocalyptic end of the world and all technology is gone? Whenever I see that, I'm like, that would be awesome, you know? Obviously, there'd be some downsides, but if, ever, if all of a sudden all, all your emails went away, wouldn't that be amazing? And all your, all your texts, you never got them anymore. Everything was just gone, and you just had a reset button. Wouldn't that actually not seem like the end of the world, but maybe the beginning of the world? And we wonder that. And sometimes we live under this illusion. Sometimes we live under this illusion. I just have to get over the hump. Sometimes we live under this illusion that I'm just in a busy season, and as soon as I get through this, it'll be okay. And, and sometimes this is, uh, I've talked to people, and we view this in all sorts of things. I'm, I'm single. As soon as I just get my relationship figured out, I get married, I get kind of a, a good standing relationship, I won't be so busy with dating, I won't be so busy with all these things, ah, then I'll be okay. And then you get in a relationship with someone, you're like, okay, 
I'm busy again. And we've got all these different things going on. There's, it's, it's twice the amount of stuff happening now. How, and how do I, okay, maybe, maybe we just need to settle down. Let's just have a family and just settle down and, and then it'll be okay. And then obviously you get kids and like, okay, well, once, once they're just three months old or four months old or, or, or 19, then everything will settle. But it's not. I mean, it's just, there, here's, here's the illusion we live under. There's a hump. That once we get over that, once we get over that, once, once the season ends in work, but here's what happens, right? It's, you have a busy season in work, and finally that calms down, but then something happens in family, and then that calms down, but then something happens over here, and it's, there's no hump. Sorry to be you know, discouraging if, you th- if you've been thinking that. I've just got to get over the hump. But it, it's, it's even broader than our lives. People have always thought like this. People have always thought there's a hump we have to get over, and everything will be okay. Maybe you've seen some of these pictures, but these are what people in the 1900s, like early 1900s, like 1900 itself, thought that the future would look like. This is what people in 1900 thought the future would look like, that we'd get over a hump, that we'd get over a, a century-long hump, and then ah, we wouldn't be busy anymore. And so here's just a few pictures. This is uh, the title is Electric Scrubbing, and it's kind of funny because she still has to do work, but she doesn't actually have to scrub. She just has to hold uh, the, the bar, whatever that is. Or this picture is a farmer, and he's just pushing buttons with a lever, and the tractors are robotically doing. So this is what people said, okay, once, once we get to this certain level of technology, everything won't be as busy. Or, or this picture is the newfangled barber, it says. And this guy's just over here kind of pulling levers and, and pushing buttons and, and everyone's getting cut and shaved by robots, which seems a little sketchy uh, and dangerous. But this is what people thought. Technology will basically make it so we don't have to work as much. Technology will make it, and we can think this in our own lives, right? If I, if I get this device or I get this thing, maybe my life will calm down. But 100 years later, that's not what has happened. Or this one, which is, it's, the caption is Madame at her toilet. Um, and, you know, she's just sitting there and it's putting on her makeup and doing her hair for you. Uh, some of you ladies are like, that would be amazing, right? And that's not how it is, right? Or I love this one because this doesn't really have anything to do with busyness, but I just think it's funny that they thought this. It's divers on horseback, and they're riding undersea horses. And it's like, how did they think a hundred years would go by and we'd be riding giant seahorses? Like, why did that cross their mind? It's like, ah, I know what will happen in the future. All of a sudden, we'll ride giant seahorses. So that may, maybe that would have saved us time if, if we could have. And then the last one is this, and this is my favorite. It's, it's, uh, this is a teacher, and he's pouring books into this machine, and then it's like automatically downloading into their heads. That would be amazing. That, I would love that. You just pour a library in there. There's an old movie, maybe some of you saw, I think it was like early 90s, called Meteor Man. Did any of you see this? It's, an ama- it's probably one of the best movies ever made. Um, not really, but one of his powers, he gets hit by a meteor, he can touch a book, and then for like 60 seconds, he absorbs all of the information. So um, anyways, this is uh, the hump, right, that we envision. Once I get over this hump, everything will be okay. 
And on a broader scale, people have thought this with technology, that once we advance as a society, once we advance as a civilization, then we'll get over the hump, we won't be as busy. There was a testimony in front of a Senate subcommittee in 1937, I think it was, as I was doing research, where they said that there would be, uh, by, by the year 1990 or something like that, people would only be working 15 hours a week because of the technological advances that we have, right? And so we envision, both in our lives and as a society, once we get over this hump, once we get over the 100-year hump, the, the three-month hump, we won't be as busy because we want a light at the end of the tunnel. But it won't slow down. Life won't slow down. It's important for us to know that. The world around us won't slow down. Our lives won't stop having the potential to be very busy. That won't happen. If you live under the illusion of the hump, it won't happen. And yet, it's really important that we not experience this feeling of busyness. It's really important because it affects all sorts of areas of our life. And in fact, if you think about your relationship with God, for those of you that are Christians, and maybe some of you are not, and some of you don't know what you believe, and that's great, and everybody, I think, can resonate with this. But if you think about a relationship with God, one of the greatest things that can throw you off course of a relationship with God is not necessarily these big, giant, horrible sins. You murder someone or do something crazy or you are a heretic and believe all sorts of wild, crazy things. Yes, that can happen. But what Jesus says one time in talking with people is that one of the things that most distracts us from a life with God, one of the things that most distracts us from the life that God intends for us, for the purpose for our life he intends for us, is he simply calls it the cares of this world, the cares of this life. That one of the things that can most keep us from building towards a life that God would intend for us, from, from being a blessing to others, from knowing and loving God, from, from living a life, as we talked about the first week, which is glorifying God, which is just to say that our life shows the goodness and greatness of who God is, that our life shows God's character, that one of the things that can keep us from that the most is busyness, that we've got bills to pay and we've got tires to fix and snow tires to swap out if you haven't done that yet. And uh, we've got work, and we've got emails to return, and texts to return, and all of this stuff that keeps us busy. One of the biggest things that can keep us actually from building a life towards the end that God designs us to have, from enjoying Him, from living a life of faith, is being busy. And yet it's, it's an experience that we all have of being busy. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Why, why is it that we are so busy? Why, why are we so busy and how can, we, how can we get decluttered? How can we begin to live a life that isn't so bogged down with the feeling of busyness? So why are we busy? Why are we so busy? Now obviously there's reasons in our world. There's obviously reasons of just, well, partially I'm busy because I have a job and I've got to work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, whatever that is. I mean, part of it is just, I mean, we live in a world where things are happening, right? And so there's some circumstantial factors. But if you think about this, God didn't make a mistake when he designed the world. You know, some of us go, maybe God messed up. 
maybe there was supposed to be eight days. Wouldn't that, I mean, wouldn't, what could you get done with one more day in the week? You know, or maybe just a couple hours. Maybe, maybe God was sort of a little slacking when he made 24-hour period. Maybe it was supposed to be 27 just 27 hours, God. Give me three extra hours. I'd be able to finish my Netflix shows quicker, be able to hang out with friends, you know, even if there was one hour devoted to work and people and entertainment. Just that. Come on, God. Three more hours. But God didn't mess up, right? God didn't make a mistake when he designed the world with the time that it has. But here's, here's what happens with us. The problem isn't time. It's that we do more than we actually have time for. The problem isn't that the world doesn't have enough time, that God didn't make the world in the right way. The, the problem is that we attempt to do more than we actually can. The problem isn't that there's not enough time. The problem is that we try to do more than we actually can. And then when we do that, even if it's 10% more than we actually can, or 20% more, some of us it might be 70% more, but even if it's just a small percentage more than we actually can, what happens is it's not just we feel busy about that stuff, but it, it affects everything, right? If you start to go past the limitations that you have into doing this much more, that much more then affects everything else, right? It affects the things that maybe you already had a handle on that we go beyond the limits that we have. God didn't make a mistake when he created the world with the rhythms and the time and the, the hours that it has. He didn't make a mistake, but we go beyond the limits that we have because the truth is we're all limited in what we can do, right? All of us are limited in what we can do. We're limited by our physical bodies. We're limited by our mental capacities, our emotional capacities even. Some of us are able to do a lot and some of us can't do that much without breaking down. And that's part of just our limitations. We have emotional limitations and mental limitations and physical limitations and, and all sorts of limitations in our life. And God didn't make a mistake in giving us those limits, but we go beyond them. God doesn't expect us to do more than we can do, but we try to go beyond it. So here's the question, why? If God made the world and he didn't make a mistake with it and he understands that we have limits and he's even given us those limits and he doesn't expect us to go beyond those limits, why do we continually do that? Why do we live our lives in such a way where we are doing more than we actually can do? Why do we do that? Why are we so busy? And really, to get at that answer... To get at the answer of why are we so busy, why are we so driven to go beyond the limits we have, that isn't just circumstances. That's something in our heart that drives us to that. If, if we've got limits and, we, and they're natural limits and God doesn't expect us to go further, why do we do it? What's going on in our heart? And there's all sorts of answers to this, okay? There, there's a lot of different things that, be, that could be going on in our hearts that drive us to go beyond, but I just want to talk about two tonight that I think are very common. Why we try to go beyond our limits. And the first one is this. One of the drives in our heart, one of the things in our heart that says, I'm going to go past what I actually have the ability to do. One of them is this we have this craving for other people's acceptance, for other people's approval of us. 
And sometimes what happens then is if I, if I need other people to like me, I need other people to accept me, I need other people to approve of me, you know what we do? We say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to. And so people ask us to do something and we want to be liked, we want to be accepted, we want to be approved, and we say yes, of course I can do that. That may be at work, it may be with family, it may be with friends, but we we say yes. Now, look, don't, don't hear me wrong. We should, especially if you're a Christian, one of our callings is to serve people. I mean, all the time in our community, there's people that are painting houses or moving or doing various things, and people help them. And nobody wakes up the morning and says, you know what I want to do today? I want to lift some boxes. Nobody does that. Nobody says, I would love to paint today. I mean, I guess maybe a painter does, but most normal human beings don't say, I'd like to paint today. I just really want to roll. My arm feels like it needs to do this, you know? Nobody does that. But I'm not saying you shouldn't therefore not do it. We should help each other. We should love one another. We should serve one another. That's something we're called to do. If you're a Christian, that's, that's one of the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is that you love your neighbor, Jesus said. It's a very important thing. But if we have this drive in us, I need other people's approval. I need other people's acceptance. I need other people to like me, to think well of me. You know what happens? We say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to. We go beyond our limits. We go beyond our abilities. And really, this becomes more about us than it becomes about them. It's not so much that we want to love as we want to be seen as loving. It's not so much that we want to be kind as we want to be seen as a kind person. It's not so much that we want to be hospitable as that we want to be seen as hospitable. It's not so much that we want to serve, but that we want to be seen as somebody that is serving. And it becomes actually about us, not really about them. That one of the drives in our heart that leads us to go past our limits, to be more busy than we should be, is this craving for, I need other people to accept me. I need other people to approve of me. The Bible says it like this. The Bible calls this the fear of man. It says the fear of man lays a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. See, the fear of man doesn't mean that you look at a man or a woman and you're terrified of them, but it means you have this reverence of them. It means you look at them and value them or esteem them or view them in a big way so that their opinions are big and their, that what they think is big and how they judge you is big and, and that the fear of man, the reverence of them, the, the esteem of them, it starts to overtake you such that it becomes a trap. It becomes a trap. And it's hard to get out of, and, and many of us have experienced this, and we felt this, where we look at other people and so want them to like us, so want them to accept us, so want them to approve of us, that then we get trapped. Part of that may be that we say yes to things that we shouldn't say yes to, and so we're busy. Part of that is we're trying to impress other people, and so maybe we spend our time doing things, and maybe we really don't care about that much, but we need to impress other people. For some people, this is trying to stay up to date on everything that's happening. That way they can be with it in a conversation, or maybe it's spending a lot of time getting ready, or I'm not saying you should look you know, like a, a crazy person or something, but it's we, we spend time 
because we so want to impress and so want to be accepted. And some of that can be that that we just live our life in this way, filling up our schedule with yeses that we shouldn't say yes to, with trying to keep up with things, or even trying to be the best at something, and so putting even more time into it than should go into it. I think about this every time I prepare a sermon. I stand before you. Do you know that the, one of the number one fears, I think it's actually the number one fear that people have is public speaking. People are more afraid of public speaking than death. Isn't that, I mean, seriously, isn't that funny? People say, I would rather actually die than speak. Why? Because we so care what other people think of us. And so every week for me, actually, it's, okay, I could spend, I could spend 50 hours writing a sermon so that it is the very best, and I would make my life more busy, right? Instead, I just wing it. I'm just making this up as I go, you know? No, I'm just kidding. They're live putting these slides on right now. I don't know what I'm going to say. They're in control, you know? Not really. But I, but I do have to consciously think, okay, this doesn't have to be the very best thing so that when I sit down, everyone goes, wow. But see, if we have this drive in our heart to be accepted, that we need to be approved, we need to be accepted, then it leads us to say yes when we shouldn't say yes. It leads us to try to keep up with things so we look good in front of other people. It may lead us to go beyond what we should do from even a, I'm not saying don't try to, to strive for excellence, but it may lead us to go beyond what we even should do so that people are impressed with us. This is one of the key drives in our heart that keeps us busy. Don't, don't you see that in your life? Don't you see how what other people think of us can drive that busyness? And the Bible tells us this. Here's one of the way out of it. Again, Proverbs, and it said this in the previous verse we looked at, but, I, but this one's great. It says, the fear of the Lord, instead of the fear of man, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it, the fear of the Lord, whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And that doesn't mean anything, nothing bad will happen in his life, but it, but it means this rest. You see, the fear of man we look at other people and we look at what they think and we look at what they say and it, it, becomes, it becomes this reverence of other people's opinions. That traps us. It ensnares us. It often leads to bitterness too, you know, because you say yes to other people. You are the one that says yes, but then you feel, I can't believe they would ask me that. I can't believe they would put that on me. Don't they know how busy I am? It leads to bitterness. It traps you. And yet, Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord, when we look at him, and instead of revering other people, and instead of being in awe of other people, instead we look at him, and we're in awe of him, and we see who he is, and that's what moves our heart. When that happens, what does it do? It gives us rest. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. You see, when we, when we see him and we value who he is, that leads to rest. Because you know why? You're not so concerned about other people's expectations on you, but his. And he isn't a harsh person. He's not a slave master. 
He's not going to throw more at you than you're actually able to do. He's not going to push you to go beyond your limits as other people will do. And so if his opinion and who he is is what captures us most, we're not driven then by other people's expectations. And we don't have to have what they say. But secondly, the fear of the Lord leads to rest because of this. It just takes our attention off ourselves. See, if I'm always looking at other people and going, what do you think of me? How, what do you think of me? How, how, are, you, how are you judging me? What, what, do, do, am I an eight, a 10, a seven, a five? Where, where do I stand with you? Have I impressed you enough? Have I gone far enough? Have I, my attention is on you and it's on me and how I'm doing in your eyes. But when my eyes are on God, that's the fear of the Lord. When, 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 I, when I'm looking at him, and I'm in reverence of who he is. What happens? My, my eyes are somewhere else. And it leads to rest. Look, anytime, anytime you look at glory, I've, and I've said this before for those of you that have been here, anytime you look at glory, it produces rest. This is part of why people vacation in places that show them something glorious. We want to look at the vast ocean and see the glory of it, the bigness of it, and we feel small, which leads to rest. We want to go to the mountains and look at the vastness of the valleys and the peaks and, and to see the bigness of it, the glory of it, and we feel small, and our eyes are off of ourselves at that moment, and it leads to rest. And see, whenever we look at God, our eyes are now off of ourselves, and it leads to rest. So one of the drives in our heart that leads us to be busy is this desire, this need, this craving for acceptance, for approval from other people. But the fear of the Lord leads to rest. Looking at him leads to rest. So that's one of the heart drives. Do you find that in yourself? Do you find that desire for acceptance, for approval? Here's a second one. One is the desire for acceptance. The second one is this. It's, it's that we long to prove ourselves. We long to prove ourselves. We long to live in such a way where we know I matter. I've done it. Now, this is really interesting as I was doing research for this. Several different um, uh, studies and news articles have talked about this problem with busyness and why is it that we are so busy why is it that as people we're constantly frantic and stressed and busy and this is not from the bible this is not from christian sources this is just scholars and authors and people that research this thing and it will line up with what the bible says that i'll show you in a minute but but this is something that people have noticed and and here's a here's a couple different uh, news kind of headings. This is from the Daily Dot, and this is just kind of a pull-out quote that they say, everyone wants to seem busy these days, no matter how much they really do or do not have going on. This is actually interesting. Studies show that people claim to be busier than they are, and, and studies show that people actually feel busier than they actually are. You look at someone's schedule, and they feel busier than someone that actually is busier, and people even lie about how busy they are. Everybody wants to seem busy these days, no matter how much they really do or do not have going on. Or this is the same article. It says, being busy in the modern world is about much more than just how many hours we work. Busyness has become a status symbol. 
of sorts. One that we use to promote our worth to the rest of the world. Or from the Washington Post, this article, Why Being Too Busy Makes Us Feel So Good. And I just uh, pulled out this quote that I'll read uh, to you. And, it, and it's, she says this, Somewhere around the end of the 20th century, busyness became not just a way of life, but a badge of honor. And life, sociologists say, became an exhausting everyday-a-thon. People now tell pollsters that they're too busy to register to vote, too busy to date, to make friends outside the office, to take a vacation, to sleep, to have sex. As for multitasking, one 2012 survey found that 38 million Americans shop on their smartphones while sitting on the toilet. And another found that the compulsion to multitask was making us as stupid as if we were stoned. People compete over being busy. It's about showing status. If you're busy, you're important. You're leading a full and worthy life. Or this one from the Huffington Post, the race without a finish line, from busyness to busy less. And, and she says here in this article, busyness was fulfilling the void of worthiness and neediness, covering up a life full of doubts, of not being good enough, not strong enough, and not made of the right clay validating ourselves by proudly piling up things to do. Why are we so busy? One of the drives in our heart is to prove ourselves. One of the drives in our heart is to know I matter. My existence is justified. I have worth. I have value. That I actually matter. And so we are driven to be busy or to even say we're busy when we're not busy, or to fill up our schedule with as much as possible so that we feel as if, I know that I matter. I know that I have worth. The Bible says the same thing using different language, but it says this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now this is interesting because here's what Paul is writing to the church in the city of Rome. He's saying this, one of the core human problems is our desire to establish our own righteousness. And sometimes when we think of righteousness, we think of moral uh, things or morality, and, and that is a part of it. But righteousness, this seeking to establish our own righteousness, is seeking to establish our own sense of, I am okay. Before God, before other people, before myself, I am okay. I am righteous. And we don't use that language, and the, the articles didn't use that language, but that's the language the Bible uses. It's to say that I'm okay, I'm, I'm right, that, that my life is justified. The Bible uses that language a lot, that I matter, that I'm not a waste, that, that I am okay. And, and Paul says to the church in Rome, one of our core human problems, is this desire to establish our own righteousness, to on our own prove our worth, prove our validity, prove that we are okay, instead of receiving that from God. And we can do that in all sorts of different ways. Those articles, even the language they use, even just back to this one, 
Busyness was fulfilling the void of worthiness and neediness, covering up a life full of doubts, of not being good enough, not strong enough, not made of the right clay. That's all very spiritual language. The Bible actually applies almost all of that language to things that God does, not being made of the right clay, not strong enough, not good enough, a life full of doubts, covering up our needs and our sense of worthiness, that we look to busyness as a way to justify ourselves, to establish our own righteousness. Why are we so busy? One of the reasons is we crave our own righteousness. We want to prove ourselves. Think about this. If, if you go up to somebody and, and you ask them, hey, how you doing? Let, let's reverse it. Somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, how you doing? You say, oh, I'm really busy. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you doing? You return it. You know, you go back. How are you doing? You say, man, I'm really rested. I'm just relaxed. In fact, I got, I don't have much going on. What are you, you're going to be like, I want to kill you, right? You're not going to say, well, that's so nice. That's so great. You might say that, especially if you're from Texas, and say, bless your heart, and, and then walk away or something. But you're not going <laughs> to, hey, come on now. Some of you, that was like laughter, and then, ah, bless his heart. Okay, so, but, I mean, right? I mean, you, we feel, we want people. We judge people based on if they're busy or not. Because it's a measure of value. It's a measure of worth that we put on ourselves, and then we also put on others. You see, we crave our own righteousness. I want to prove myself. I want to know I'm okay. I want to know I have value and worth and strength. And so what do we do? We make our lives busy. Busy is a way that we feel okay about ourselves. And so we pile up the list of things to do and try to accomplish more and more and maybe put in more hours at work all the statistics are crazy about that, of people not taking vacation and, you know, all these unused vacation days. And, and we tout it to others, letting them know how busy we are. And we even feel, maybe this is you, do you feel guilty when you rest? Sometimes we feel guilty when we rest. I feel guilty resting and relaxing as if it's wrong to do so. Because... We're letting down ourselves. And if work and if busyness is a way that we experience righteousness and knowing that we matter, then rest is a horrible sin against ourselves. So what do we need? Now here's what Jesus says. And I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. He says this. Jesus says, come to me. And listen to these words to you, if this is who you are. Listen to these. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what Jesus says. He uses this language of yoke. And think of pictures you've seen, or maybe you grew up on a farm, I don't know, of an ox, and they've got that thing around their neck, and then there's another one, and it's around that ox's neck also. I think that's how you say it, right? The ox eye. Um, and and it's, uh, I know that's not what it is. And it's, so it's around his neck. 
the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ox funny jokes. Um, guys, can you throw that up on the screen? <laughs> um, and Jesus is using that language of a yoke that, that puts together two ox. And he's saying this, my yoke is easy. He's not calling us to this 50-50, hey, man, this is going to be a hard plow and we're going to have to go for it, but come on. He says this, look, there's work. Life with me, there's some things I'm going to call you to. There's some things I'm going to invite you into and ask you to do with me. There's, there's some things. Yes, there is a yoke. I want you to be attached to me and there's a, there's a, there's a life and there's a mission that I want for you. Yes, I, I want that. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that I'm, I'm calling you into some drudgery, but why is that? Why, why, why doesn't he just say, hey, if you've got rest, come to me and I'll throw away the yoke? Because he's saying this, life with me is a different kind of work. Life with me is a different kind of work. Because there's not the work underneath the work. There's not the drive that I'm doing this to prove myself. I'm doing this to know I have value and to know I have acceptance and to know that, that I've got some sort of worth and some sort of righteousness that I can get. You're not working and fighting for that anymore. So Jesus says, look, if you are burdened, if you are weary, listen to these words from Jesus if this is you. If you are burdened, and you are weary, and you are heavy laden, Jesus says, come. Come to me and find rest, not just for your body, but for your soul. Isn't that what all of us long for? We think getting over the hump is going to give that. We think that two-week vacation is going to give that, and then it wears off. Sometimes you come back even more stressed because all you have to do we think all of these things is going to give us that rest for our souls, our world and our city and the people in this room. We long for that rest for our souls. And Jesus says, come. If you're burdened, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come. And I'll give you rest for your soul because you no longer have to fight for your righteousness. I give it to you freely. That, that's what the message of the gospel is. The message, the good news, is that Jesus came to this earth. And on the cross, he forgives us of our sin. He takes it away. So you don't have to fight to work off some sort of guilt and shame and burdens. But he doesn't just do that. He then gives us his righteousness, which means he gives us worth and value and acceptance it's called the great exchange. He takes all of our crap and gives us all of his good. It's a pretty good deal. He says, you have this. It's given to you. You don't have to fight for it anymore. You don't have to try for it anymore. It's given to you. And so that gives you a rest in your soul. So yes, you're still living life. And yes, you're still doing things. And yes, you're still following him. And yes, you're still obeying him. And yes, you're still yoked to him. But you're not fighting anymore. For all these feelings of worth and value and acceptance, and it's something he gives to us freely. Why are we so busy? We're busy because underneath, in our hearts, there's these drives. Maybe a drive for acceptance. 
maybe a drive to prove your own value and to prove that you matter, to prove that you're okay. And what do we need for our hearts? We need rest that comes from seeing who he is, that, that comes from coming to him and experiencing rest for your soul. You don't have to fight for your righteousness. It's given to you. So this is why we're busy, but let's close with this. What, what should we be aiming for instead of busyness? Because the, the goal isn't, okay, so do nothing. I mean, that's not what we're called to. That's not what Jesus even invites us to. It, it's not, hey, look, don't be busy. Everybody leave and quit your job. Everybody just cancel everything that you've got on your calendar. Hit the delete button on everything. That's, that's not what it is. So what should we be aiming for instead of busyness? Since the goal isn't do nothing. Well, once we address those heart drives in us, once we look at those and go, what's driving me to go beyond what God expects of me? What's driving me to go beyond my limits? Once we address those heart drives, once we address that, what is it we should be aiming for? Because when we're free from that, when we're not strangled anymore by these cravings that lead us to keep being busy, what do we actually do with our time? What do we actually do? And, and here's, we could talk a lot about this, but, but here's one big idea, and it's this. What we're aiming for is to be faithful, not busy. And there's a big difference. Sometimes the busiest people are the most unfaithful people. Sometimes those that are the most busy, that have the feelings of, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, are actually the ones that are the least faithful in what God would have for them in their life. Because we're adding all these different things that we're not supposed to do into our life instead of focusing on that which God actually has for us. It's really easy to get distracted from what God would have for you, for your life. What God wants for us is faithfulness, not busy. God wants for us is to be faithful, not busy. Here, here's a, another time that Paul addresses how we use our time. And he says this, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And, and that just means that, that time is short and that we live in a, in a world in which there is a purpose that God has for us, intends for us to be uh, his presence in a world that doesn't know him. But he says this, make the best use of your time. Live as wise, not unwise. Make the best use of your time. See, that's being faithful. It's saying, I've got a limited amount of time and I want to make the best use of it. I don't want to just fill it up I don't, I don't want to say, okay, I've got time, and so I'm going to fill it up, and then even go beyond that, and just be busy. In my eulogy, at my funeral, people are going to say, what was he like? Well, he was very busy. That, that's not the end game. The end game is to look at our time and say, I want to make the best use of it, to be faithful, which means this. It means we have priorities, that we say, what does God intend for my life? How do I use my life to love other people and serve other people? See, it's not laziness, it's not selfishness, but it's how do I, how do I uniquely, the way God's designed me and gifted me and made me and placed me, how, how do I 
use my time in a way that's focused, that has priorities. That's what it means. It means we seek to be faithful. It means we know that we can't do everything, and so we don't try. But we want to be faithful at the things that we should be doing. And it means this. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to use our time wisely? It means that we should have a system. And I'm not going to you know, teach a class on time management, but it means we should have a system. It means we should do something. I mean, if you go on a diet, you have a system for that. And yet so many times we don't actually have a system for our time. But our time is our life. Time is our life. So we have to have a system to say, how do I filter what comes in and what comes out? It's your life. And third, just finally, it means this. It means we should focus on our priorities. It means we should have a system. And it means also that we should respect others. And here's what I mean. Sometimes we go, I'm going to set priorities for my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to, I know I can't do everything. I know I can't say yes to everything. So I'm going to focus. I'm going to be faithful to what God's given me and, and not try to do everything, but really try to use my time the best way possible. But then we expect others to do, to fit into our priorities and to fit into our life and to fit into our things. And we don't give them the same grace that we want. And I, I found this quote from a book called Crazy Busy that I thought was really helpful. And he says this, It's not enough to set priorities ourselves if we don't respect that others must set them too. Here's where we can help each other immensely. And this is important for us as a community of people, not just individuals hearing this. Don't always expect the lunch request to work. Don't get upset when your what do you think email doesn't get answered. Don't be offended if your need doesn't go to the top of the pile. Understand that people often say, I'm busy, because saying I have many priorities in life and right now you aren't one of them would be too painful. Don't think it's rude if some people have less availability for you than you have for them. And don't begrudge people the time you are so desperately fighting for. So what should we be aiming for? Faithfulness. Look, life doesn't have to be frantic. Life doesn't have to be stressed out. What if you could have peace? What if you could have focus? What if your life was actually full of things, but they were the right things? See, we have an active faith. We have a faith that does call us to things, that does say we, there are things to do, but that doesn't mean that life has to be frantic. We can have rest can have rest in our souls. We can be free from the drives in our heart that stress us out because we can have rest in him. And when we take communion, what we remember is that Jesus, what, what we talked about earlier, that, that he came to this earth, and that God came to this earth and he had his body broken and he had his blood shed. Why? For so many reasons. But one of them was to give rest to our souls. One of them was to give rest because we don't need to crave acceptance from other people because we have it in him. And we don't need to justify ourselves and prove that we matter because he has given us his righteousness. Let's pray, let's take communion, and let's sing to our good God. Father, we thank you that you have invited us, all of those that are weary and heavy laden and burdened. You've, you've invited us to yourself. 
I thank you for that invitation and that call that got every single person in this room that feels that they are identified as the person that's weary or burdened or, or hurting or heavy laden. You look at us directly and say, come to me. And so I pray that we would, Lord, help us. Help us as we even spend the next few moments singing and taking communion to come to you and to give you our burdens, to receive forgiveness for, for trying so hard to find our own righteousness or trying so hard to uh, fight for other people's acceptance. Help us to turn to you and to see who you are. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.